Hi, my name is Lena Chang, and today is January 30th, 2020, and I'm here with Sandra Thurman over the phone from Baltimore, Maryland, for the Our Streets, Our Stories Oral History Project. So, could you share what your reflections are on 1619? Well, let me start by saying thank you for allowing me the opportunity to uh, do this interview. And my reflections on 1619 is that historically, the information that was presented to myself along with other African-Americans, particularly in the educational system, have been false. Um, you know, the education that we were presented with you usually often depict slavery as something that African-Americans welcome, and we were not presented in a light that um, shows the harsh treatment we receive as a people and how it has impacted our lives uh, throughout the 400 years and continues to occur um, in various different ways through health disparities, through economic neglect of our communities, through uh, the social determinants of health. And actually, when we look at it structurally, we had, after slavery had ended and the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, Blacks developed or African-Americans decided to go out on their own and establish their lives. And African-Americans at the time were ostracized and also became part of Jim Crow laws, uh, faced harsh treatment, lynchings, other various mm-hmm. aspects of basically threats to our lives. Because when we were perceived as thriving and doing better, then it was almost like a thing of we should not have or we're not deserving of or how dare us think that we could actually prosper Um when you look historically at this country, the wealth of this country is predicated on free labor. How better to continue that process when you allow systems of social support like welfare to continue to um, be the main source of income for a lot of uh, impoverished people? And not just um, African Americans, but any race or any ethnicity that doesn't have the ability to maintain their own. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. there are more whites on uh, public assistance than black, but we don't Mm -hmm. see that. Um, Everything Mm -hmm. that is represented in terms of poverty and impoverishment always reflects back on us, um, our way of speaking, if we haven't been educated in so-called educational system that has provided us with that ability to articulate our needs and express our needs in a way that some people might say, the proper English language. You were speaking before about how you thought there has been a gap in education where people are not as informed about the past history of enslavement. And so I was wondering how would you like the future generation to be educated on the past history of enslavement in the United States? Well, I'd like for them to know the truth. And I'd like Mm -hmm. for them that although we were enslaved as a people, that we contributed to the very fabric and makeup of this country. Now, Mm -hmm. you couldn't get the wealth of this country without actually having free labor. And we were, in essence, the building of America. So I I want our children to know the truth. 
I want them to know that prior to us coming to this country, that we were taken from families and that we were a proud people. We came from various tribes, and in those tribes we had the elders, and in those tribes we had kings and queens, and that, you know, mm-hmm. we had scholars, we had mathematicians, we had doctors and nurses. They were not called those back then, but these were, there was a structure to our living, and we, we had mm-hmm. a significance. We were significant. When you were growing up, did you feel that you got enough of an understanding or, or like, let's say, if not through the educational system, were there any stories that your family or your grandparents shared with you on what it was like for them growing up? Unfortunately, um, a lot of the information that was shared with my, my mom's family, they didn't mm-hmm. speak much about it. Um, and I, in fact, one of my uncles, the eldest uncle who, who passed away many years ago, you know, I had asked him one time, you know, why don't we, why don't you all talk about the family? And he said, we don't talk about those things. And and looking back at how African Americans respond to trauma, because we've been traumatized, we don't want to be confronted with those memories. And I'm and I'm almost suffice mm-hmm. to say that a lot of African Americans, particularly older ones. Um, and if they if they've managed to live into the 80s and 90s and 100s, they have experienced things that we cannot imagine. And a lot of them don't mm-hmm. want to talk about those things because they were traumatic. They were atrocities mm-hmm. towards their being, um, their livelihood, just the ability to just feel safe in a land that was originally foreign. But now this is our home. So now mm-hmm. this is our home and we still feel unsafe, you kind of like don't want to dredge up the past. You kind of want to leave that, let it rest. I, on the other hand, I think for me, and perhaps other African Americans feel the same, I want to know more about my past. I want to know the tribe that I came from. I want to know, learning to know that foundation. Because I believe when you know where you're coming from or where you came from, you kind of know what, what makes up who you are. Because there's a deep sense for me that I love to write. Were there scholars in my family? Were there writers in my family? You know, how did they feel about education? What did they do? How did they sound? Mm-hmm. What did they speak? But I feel the older generation, my mom and her parents and her parents' parents, probably didn't even want to speak about the things that have happened. I know that on both sides of my family, we did have sex slavery. And I know mm-hmm. for a fact, that my dad's side, the, the name Sermons, there's a Sermons, Georgia, and there's a Sermons plantation that existed at one time. So when you learn these things, you want to learn more, you know? For me, I want to mm-hmm. learn more or know more. Could you tell us a little bit about um, where you grew up and if also were your grandparents nearby? I grew up in, uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I grew up, um, I was born and I was born in a hospital called Brooklyn Jewish at the time, which was in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. It's just a hospital that's been since closed. But I grew mm-hmm. primarily in East New York, Brooklyn. And I grew up in, in the projects. Now, the projects back in the 60s and 70s, and maybe even into the late 70s, early 80s, were really working class, middle class people. And, um, but as as the dynamics of city living changed and 
those middle class families actually probably made a little bit more money. You know, we had white families who, what they quote unquote, did a white flight where they left those those areas or they left the project. And then the, the dynamics or the demographics changed. So mm-hmm. you saw more crime. In the 90s, you saw more of the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, you saw more of the crack ep- epidemic and stuff. Um, I myself left and moved into a different borough for a better life mm-hmm. for myself and my children. And then eventually I moved away and I moved out into Long Island, quote unquote, mm-hmm. suburbs, which was right. considered a better living. But again, mm-hmm. you can't escape your past, particularly if the friends that you knew still live in those areas the people that you love still live in those areas. And you kind of feel like you want to leave that, but you still want to be a part of that because it is war and it was a defining factor in your life. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents um, didn't know my grandmother. My um, father's mother died when I was probably about four or five. And only thing that I remember is pictures, you know, being pictures with her. And, and at that time, she was ill. So I didn't have really that grandmother figure. And my grandfathers, they were they were men. They really didn't say much. They didn't show a lot of reception. And I, and I assume, or I, I'm going to make the assumption that because you weren't allowed to express ex- affection as a male back then, you know, I guess the primary thing was protect your family and feed your family. So I didn't feel mm-hmm. that grandfatherly love, you know. And as I had children and my children grew up with my dad around, I think they got an opportunity to feel that affection that I so long for, you know. How do you hope that the future generation continues to remember and preserve their history? Well, I think the first the thing is for them to be introduced to their history and introduced mm-hmm. in a sense um, to be proud of it to be proud of the heritage that has been set before them, to know to know leaders who drove for excellence and civil rights and some of the developers and inventors before time that made the cotton gin or helped develop electricity, who, who explored new horizons and who were not mm-hmm. part of the history written in the book, but were a part of what did transpire for America today, or what has made America great today. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today before we end our interview? Um, I have a, a poem that mm-hmm. I'd like to read. Yeah, sure, that would be perfect. It's meant to enlighten, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it to the best of my ability. It's the mm-hmm. rough draft. So we have been saying for years what is politically incorrect, but the fact is we have allowed a select few individuals who don't represent the masses keep us in prison through political neglect. The truth is without crime, you would have no job. I'm talking to the white and black faces who are government-sanctioned mobs. I'm talking about those who promise to do no harm, but instead give into companies who poison through pharmaceutical charms. I walked for miles before I could find the market. You see, the desert does not only exist in the Sahara. I can't read, so I can't write, so I can't know where I should go. That's right, you can't teach what you don't know. You want me to act like my family ain't dying while you're crying out that too many black folks saying they matter. 
You scared of the lies passed down all these years ago, afraid you're going to lose, afraid to know the truth. Your forefathers were criminals of the worst kind because they enslaved human cargo just so they could shine. Shine with the blood of time. Shine until you eventually run out of time. TikTok is the rhythm of the clock. What happens should every law-abiding black citizen be armed with a Glock? What, what would the NRA do then? Drop bombs on every decent person's head? You can't pick and choose the have and have not. It is evident, the time on the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock.